Warrior Woman, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 59, I believe. Don't quote me on that. It could be 58 or 59. And it is an essential skills for training series episode with a very special guest. My guest today has been a coach for a good part of 10 years. He lives in Melbourne, Australia and is the owner of Praxis Athletic and co-owner of The Bulletproof Yogi. He has been my coach, teacher, mentor, and friend for over seven years, and he is very good at helping people get results when it comes to their training. So in today's episode, Paris Little and I talk about training, how to train. We discuss his current work for the Bulletproof Yogi and how that was birthed. With this work, he's helping yogis develop stronger, more resilient, capable bodies so they can get more out of their practice. He shares how and why he created Praxis Athletic. We talk about his philosophy, his beliefs behind movement and training. We talk about processes and methods to get results, uh, to get strong, to change our body composition, uh, and so much more. Paris is a wealth of knowledge and such a gem to speak to about training. Uh, As I said, he is very good at helping people get results. He is amazing at programming. He's an amazing coach. Uh, And so I really enjoyed this talk with him today. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, My biggest takeaway from the conversation was that one of the biggest things that he's learned in the last 10 or 12 years being a coach is that we have to meet uh, the people that we work with where they're at and The second piece that I really enjoyed uh, him speaking to was around, you know, that there is no right way to train and the right way is finding a way to move your body that brings you joy and that you enjoy it and then supplement with the work around it to make sure that you have a strong, resilient, capable body. So there's lots of little gems in here. Like I said, I could talk to him for hours and he's such a wealth of knowledge. You can find him uh, a couple of different places. At Paris Little is his personal uh, Instagram where he posts a lot about training and his views and beliefs behind training. Uh, You can also find him at the Bulletproof Yogi, and this is his new little baby that he's birthing into the movement world. Okay, so without further ado, I welcome you to this episode with my very good friend, Paris Little. This is the Off Kilter Podcast. It is about breaking rules, listening to your ovaries, and coloring outside of the lines. Each week, We will connect and be in conversation about how to reignite your sexuality, feel powerfully graceful, and deeply connected to your body, all while navigating life. I am your teacher, Amy Kate Bo. So we've actually we've got a course, a hypnobirthing course this week. Um, Cool. Yeah, which will be awesome. Really, really looking forward to that. So that would be cool. So I, I guess they just dive right into like breath and yeah, I guess yeah. so. Yeah, the breath mindset, like you know, relationship with pain, the process, like all, all that sort of stuff. Like obviously far more centered around um, you know the mother and like that whole thing. But I'm sure they'll also then touch on how partners can be supportive and you know what to do and <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I think it's it's somewhat designed for. Um, yeah, like first-time parents. It's not going to be something that's like people that are like pros and have been through it 20 times or, or a few times. So I'm hoping that like I learn a lot because, yeah, there's still a lot that I'm somewhat in the dark about. So, yeah, it'll be cool. And also I think cool as a coach to learn yeah. like pain 
like about like their perspective of pain and how they would help navigate someone through pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Yeah. I think, I think that understanding more about the birth and process itself, understanding what it is that women go through, like having a partner that's pregnant and then seeing her train or hearing how she's going with her training and things like that. So it's amazingly informative because I've coached, um, you know, women while they're pregnant. And for the most part, it's, it's, been around just letting them feel what's right and just using common sense, but then having somebody who obviously like I'm much closer with and um, yeah, who give me feedback on different things have been really, really cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Uh, and I'm excited to hear what you learn from this course because mm. that pain comes up a lot, like in our work. Someone will say, that's painful. And I'm super fascinated with like the language around that because often it's not painful, but it's like a new sensation or it's uncomfortable or there's a discomfort there. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think it would be cool from, well, that's a whole nother level of pain when you push a little human out, but uh, to get like their perspective of like, yeah, like pain and like navigating someone through that. Yeah, definitely how to change somebody's relationship with that through language, um, you know, through whatever practices that they utilize. You're absolutely right. I mean, I remember when, when it sort of started to become something that was a little bit uh, more common for people to learn about, which was, you know, joint preparation methods or techniques or, you know, stepping outside of alignment to train certain positions. That conversation was, was incredibly important um, when, even doing long duration, like passive hangs and yeah, you know, all of the stuff that came along with the, these methods and um, philosophies meant that people were all of a sudden feeling you know, shit, like my hands are hurting a little bit when I'm hanging. I'm like, well, it's, it's still not quite painful, right? It's not going to cause you like long-term damage. It's not, a, it's not an issue. It's a bit uncomfortable. It might be like putting on like a tight pair of shoes that feel a bit uncomfortable, but it's not really that painful. Um, and that having a big sort of shift in how people, you know, had a relationship with that so i'm sure the you know the the course that's centered around as you said pushing a human out of your body which is i'm sure it's incredibly you know painful at times um i'm sure they've got a you know, wealth of knowledge around that which would be cool to soak up yeah i just want to start the podcast can we could just yeah, continue this conversation Okay. Um, So I want to know how we're going to, we'll go back and, and, but I want to stay with this conversation right now, because how do you help someone navigate that like new sensations, someone that's maybe like newer to training uh, or has a young training age that will often say, I don't want to do it. This is painful or I don't want to, this hurts. Mm Um, so that's like a good question to me now. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> firstly, uh, for the, for the most part, like in, from my perspective and experience, and this is, I've had, I've dipped my toe in like the NLP world of like just a tiny little bit for those that aren't familiar with it. It's just like neuro-linguistic programming. It's a way in which you, you change the languaging of something to change somebody's experience of something. So you, the way you talk about an experience is generally how you then start to feel it and you embody it and, and changing the language around what something is like, uh, something, for instance, like your hands sort of aching when you're hanging from a bar, if that's a new thing for somebody to do and they're not used to that burning sensation that you get in your hands when you're hanging on something for a long time. If they language that as pain and we go back from like an evolutionary standpoint of what pain is there for, it's to signal us to step away from something and retreat from it. Shit, it hurts, it burns, I need to move back from it. If we have an individual at the early stages of doing long-term passive hanging to language it as painful, then they're going to like pull back and they'll continue to pull back. So they need to start to, I guess, have a discussion with us as their coaches around what it actually is. And it's, it's not going to cause harm because the pain response is to move us away from potential harm. Let them know that it's not going to cause harm. It's perfectly safe and it's okay to feel that sensation and then language it differently. Okay. This is just a bit uncomfortable, right? It's not, it's not actually painful. And if somebody starts to nod and they're like, hey, yeah, you know what? I guess it is actually just a little bit uncomfortable. You know, I'm, I'm probably over exaggerating my experience of what this is like. They're far less likely then to retreat and pull back from it. And then they can go, 
and do the thing they probably need to be doing. You know, it's like, it's incredibly cliche to say, but you, know, you step outside your comfort zone and something's a bit uncomfortable and like good shit happens, right? And there's, there's you know, huge amounts of truth to that. So allowing people to reframe the language they use around an experience can open them up to obviously greater adaptations because they're now outside their comfort zone doing some shit that they need to be doing to get them to where they want to go. Yeah, I love that. Okay, it's the, the, the change of the language. Mm-hmm. And I often, when I'm training the women that I work with, that's the first thing that we'll focus on, trying to shift the language or give them... Uh, I guess the words to be able to describe the sensation. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, give them those words. That's that's like huge. Give them those words, and then as a as a strength coach or a teacher of any kind in, in this sort of world, be be respectful of where somebody else is at as well, and be be very humble in that, and and not not put somebody down for their experience of it being much more intensive than yours may have been and then give them the right dose so that they can gradually go from feeling like shit this is pain to no actually it is just a bit of an uncomfortable experience give them the right dose with it as yeah. opposed to just like no shut up get on with it like we're not we're not actually like <laughs> you know generally speaking we're not like you know eastern block like russian strength coaches from the 70s like you can kind of just kick back a little bit relax like we're dealing with human beings and just regular people here that you know don't live in the gym like we do or train like we do so building somebody up with a with a tolerant like respectful approach i think also really goes a long way in like that long-term development of somebody's relationship with pain and discomfort yeah i really uh i really like how you said that like there is a there can be a difference as a coach you you know we could have a training age of 10 15 years mm. and then the people that come to see us have such a lower training age. And so <laughs> I remember one of my coaches used to say to me, uh, stop being a sandy vagina and just do it. <laughs> but I come from a tr- strong training background. And so for me, like that worked. But for some people, I think if they've never experienced these sensations before, and a lot of them are in this chronic state of stress that if the experience then is stressful or the movement is even more stressful, that's creating more stress. Exactly right. And it's, it's, it's all relative to the individual, right? So in the sense of like, um, it's like the princess and the pea analogy, you know, to a degree. It's sort of like the, that's still, that's the level of pain was still probably the same, or at least or discomfort to that person, even though it was like nothing really to us, that, that actual experience can be, you know, what it might be like for us to have like you know, ribbons torn off our hands, you know, and they have like no skin move, you know, it's just nothing. But that experience and because of how well we've, uh, or how long we've been able to build up our tolerance or our relationship with pain, it can, it can actually be pretty much identical experience, even though one looks like, you know, bloody hands and holy shit, we really went hard and the other looks like absolutely nothing. That, that actual experience can be like almost identical relative to the person. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the tolerance. Yeah, the tolerance. Yeah, tolerance to it. Like what's it, it feels like pr- probably what it feels like to them, that shock of like, oh my God, that warm burning sort of feeling the first time I've done that or whatever it may be, that could be the same as it might be for us to yeah, lose skin in that sense, yeah. Yeah. So I want to, well, let's start with what you're doing now. Because I've known you for ooh, probably for seven, eight years. Yeah. Oh, uh, and yeah, I'd love to hear what you're doing now and then we'll go back. Yeah, sure. No, that works well. So basically the, what I'm working on at the moment is um, a new business called The Bulletproof Yogi, which is centered around filling the gaps in somebody's physical practice or what they're doing. Um, relative to basically anybody that has uh, a, a strong yoga practice or any yoga practice at all, but also it works really well for anybody that has a movement practice at all. So you might be like a martial artist looking for something that's going to help with some level of like structural integrity um, or somebody who just wants to become more mobile and stronger in different ranges, then it's also a great program for that. And the Bulletproof Yoga was sort of created for a number of reasons. One, it was was kind of motivated because I saw so many programs that existed that were from the yoga community for say the CrossFit community or from the yoga community for the running community. You know, there's yoga for runners, you know, yoga for CrossFitters, or you know, yoga for powerlifters. 
I was like, well, where's the strength conditioning for yogis? You know, where's like the putting back for that? So that was part of it. Um, and it was also created because I was working with so many people in the yoga community. I kind of stopped and I thought about, well, what is it that I do and what have I been doing for you know, the better part of like 10 years? And generally speaking, it was you know, one of two things, making bendy people stronger and more stable and making strong people bendy. Like that, that was, for the most part, that was it. And there's, there's a bunch of other stuff in there I've been working on, but that was you know, the, the crux of it. So that's why the program was created. And I've been working on that now for the better part of, say, oh, how long has COVID been going for here? Like four months, five months, six months? I know I lost track of time, but <laughs> you know, I've got um, my, my business partner, Phoebe Waters, who's a you know, great yoga teacher. And yeah, her and I kind of just were spitballing things and we put it out there and, here we are now. We've got you know an online platform where you know, people can follow along, and they'll have Zoom classes that they'll be able to take part in um, online. This is, and then programs to kind of support and complement the yoga practice. I, I love this, and when you started creating it, I was just like, yes, because coming from a dancing background, uh, I probably have some of the most flexible hamstrings that are around, but they were never strong. And then when we worked together, that was a big focus. Mm -hmm. And I've worked with a lot of dancers that have amazing like kinesthetic awareness and the amazing connection with their body. And they're so flexible and, but yet they're not strong in uh, some areas of their body. And the same with with yogis uh, that it's almost like, I guess in yoga, it could be limiting as well in some of the, the harder practices or poses. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you're absolutely right. And that's, that was a, a big sort of motivation was to, to help people progress where often as a strength coach, if like if all I do pretty much for the most part, I work on making people stronger. That's what I love to do. And, and you're very good at it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. That's very sweet of you. I, um, look, I thoroughly enjoy it. I love what I do. And, and I, I'd be looking at these, these issues that would often come or I'd be a, you know, opposed if I attended a yoga class. Cause I do love yoga as a practice. And I like going into yoga classes from time to time myself. And I might be talking with somebody who'd been practicing for a long time. And I'd be like, well, yeah, they might language or say to me that they're unable to do a certain pose because of this or that. And two things came out of that. One was that I'd be like, okay, well, from my learnings and research and all like exploration into um, like body weight strength training, gymnastics, strength training, etc. There's a whole big toolbox over here that should teach you as a yoga practitioner how to do these things. So let me like open that door up for you and show you. And then the other was the many of the misconceptions around why they thought that was the case. They couldn't do a certain thing. So oh, my hamstrings are just so tight. I can't get into a better forward fold. And or my, my hip flexors, side they just always feel like they need to be stretched, always feels really, really tight and I need to work on them. And, and I started to see this like common theme in the conversation with these yogis around why they thought they couldn't do a certain thing or movement or pose. And yet they still weren't able to do the movement or pose, even though they were saying they thought they had the solution. Oh, I still need to keep stretching, I need to go, well, do you? Because you've been doing the same thing now for the past two or three years and it's not working, right? So, so what part of like the, you know, the issue that you're working on is that you're not working on. And generally it was the strength side of things. It was the contraction oriented things. It wasn't the relaxation side of things. So I wanted to try and kind of fill that gap with the bulletproof yogi as well. Yeah. A few things come up when you speak about that, because it brings a conversation around like this, the specialist generalist conversation that you can specialize in something uh, and you can get very good at that practice, but that doesn't mean that, it's like a whole practice within itself. Like you need to come back with what you're doing with Bulletproof Yogi. And, you know, trying to do the hand balance may not be the answer. Yeah. Building up the wrist strength, doing strength training might be the answer to unlock the pose. And so, mm -hmm. which brings me to the conversation that I really want to talk about because I honestly believe like body weight strength training, uh, is one of the best ways to build trust with our body and kind of build that base of the the pyramid i guess or our foundation yes 
yeah, I, I would say it's, it definitely, definitely holds a lot more value than, than many people, I think, um, like give it a chance to. And yeah, probably the reason for that is because sometimes the progressions towards certain things are a bit more complex than just adding weight or doing a movement that's a, a, has a more complex progression, like system to it to reach it kind of puts people off. When you're dealing with like manipulation of like leverages or understanding how to utilize different training tools, it can be off-putting. Um, but there is a lot of value in there, a lot of value for sure. Definitely, I think it's, it, it definitely forms like the, the foundation to a degree um, of, yeah, like anybody's like training that I'd be working with. In saying that, like pretty much anything that, that gives somebody some sort of um, like progress in any one area is also like whatever the tool that may be is also what I'm happy doing. Yeah. So what does like building someone's base up look like to you? say you start working with someone that, you know, may specialize, we could just go with the work that you're doing now with, yeah. with the yogis. What does that look like? Well, you know, generally if, if I'm working with somebody um, and I work with a lot of people that they've already, like you said, they've, they've already got something. So they're not coming just from like a five years of inactivity. They've generally got something there. They're already a, a runner runner they already practice yoga or they already work in martial arts or they're just like already like a strength coach. You know, so I work with a lot of coaches. So look, I've already got this strength training is my passion. Uh, generally what I look at that is to, to build somebody's base is, is what's missing within their like physical practice or their training modality that is like the low hanging fruit. And that's where the base gets built is where they're missing pieces because what is like least developed is going to give somebody the greatest level of progression, like the quickest, right? So like beginner gains are a thing. If you take somebody who's never strength trained, building their base, if they've never strength trained, but they've been walking and running their whole life, well, they don't need an aerobic base to be built. They likely need a strength base to be built and developing that strength base will help them develop a greater aerobic capacity and base if that's what they love. And the other, it would be the inverse for somebody coming to me from the powerlifting community who maybe wants to just have more longevity in their life as a whole. Building their base doesn't look like much strength training because they're strong, fucking really strong. But what they do need to do is go for a walk, you know, <laughs> like that they probably need to spend some time softening if they, if they want to develop a more well-rounded, like it's just physical structure as a whole. So the base is built, yeah, more so on the individual as opposed to an absolute. Um, yeah, yeah, that would be my answer for that. Okay. Yeah. So you're, they may specialize in something. So we'll come back to the yogis. Yeah. They can be really, really flexible. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, they, some of them are really strong depending yeah, on their yeah. practice, uh, but maybe not strong or maybe have, yeah. you know, they're, wrist strength lets them down or their scapular, you know, stability or whatever it is, you're finding mm. that piece and mm. working with them on that to make their practice, I guess, more, more rounded. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. With the, with the yoga community, we generally look at developing um, or bridging the gap between passive and active ranges of motion, which I know you're really familiar with, but just for anybody who isn't just basically, making your giving you ability to contract into ranges that you otherwise weren't able to so if you know, this is like my passive like end range for extension of my index finger here and then i let it go that's now my active and there's a difference between those two passive here active there building strength there first and for the yoga community i gen in the bulletproof yogi system and kind of what i've been utilizing from what i've learned and developed and um, tried out a lot of myself is initially just doing like really basic like end range control there. So if we talk about like the forward fold for yogis, if we're looking at somebody who says they just can't progress their forward fold and they've been doing yoga to help it, and much of what they've been doing in yoga is centered around just like stretching into their forward fold, what they're often not doing is then contracting into it. So doing like a seated pike leg lift is one way in which you can just very quickly accelerate somebody's forward fold. Literally within like we've had so many different yogis like like hit us back and be like, yo, I haven't been able to like reach this level of a forward fold ever. I've been practicing for five years and I've done this, this one protocol, this one session called the Bulletproof Yogi twice. And it's like exponentially better. And but there's no secret to it. I'm not going to try and keep that as like, Hey, you've got to sign up to try and get it like straight up. 
just do some loaded forward folds, so add external loading, which you wouldn't do in a yoga class. So a Jefferson curl, for example, and then do some hanging leg lifts or pike leg lifts and just contract into that same range. That's, that's it. That's how we would build the base for that particular pose. Um, and then it, like, it develops and progresses from there. The system gets much more complex and we start to utilize different methods and um, yeah, layer in further, further and further signals into the nervous system that were controlled there. But that's where it starts for yogis is just building just end range contraction strength. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So is, there, is, your, is the program all individualized or do you have certain protocols that... Protocols. So basically, we just looked at the... Yeah, was, we're able to sort of, I guess, create like a yogi avatar and, and then look at the, the vast majority and then also say that this is a protocol for somebody who's struggling. For instance, we take wheel pose. So there's, you know, two reasons why somebody might not be able to get into wheel pose. One is going to be just literal like flexibility and mobility in that range. And then the other is they're not strong enough to press into that range. So, you know, one protocol for wheel poses can be focused on developing pressing strength, while the other is going to be focused on opening up the hips, uh, strengthening the hip extensors, opening up the thoracic spine, opening up the shoulders, etc. So, you know, creating, I guess, like, you know, two different avatars for the one pose allows us to, to comfortably provide that to the masses and say, look, for the most part, if you work on these two, you're going to be good in wheel pose and you're going to be more balanced then. Yeah. Yeah. There's like this dance between both, I guess, both avatars. And then like you were describing the forward fold, the dance between, you know, the, the Jefferson curl, but then also we need to flip it and we need an activation component of it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Exactly right. Okay. So that's what you're working on now. Uh, and I guess that's kind of an accumulation of what the last, well, good part of 10 years that you've probably been doing this for. Yeah, for the most part. Like, so I'd say for around yeah, 10 or 12 years of, you know, like a process of um, just going in and out of different circles, going in and out of different modalities and just always exploring that and enjoying that. And, you know, I've sort of um, like yourself and many other people that sort of come from the, I guess you'd call it the era that we did, which was the, the, this like the growth of CrossFit in Australia here, which you know, opened up the doors for conversations around guys like Edo Portel or for um, any sort of like movement culture stuff to come around, which I think it only occurred as a result of people seeing like CrossFit do so well and be like, okay, hang on, I can just do lots of different stuff and explore that. Um, that kind of all of that exploration into doing lots of different things and training people with lots of different methods led to what I've been doing for the past, well, up until COVID here, which was running Practice Athletic. And, and Practice Athletic was like the physical space that I created and, um, you know, we ran in Windsor and Melbourne. And, and that was centred around, like, it's literally, again, I've always been sort of like in and out of the yoga community. Praxis is, it translates to practice, right? And, and what I wanted to do was run a facility that was centred around practising athleticism or practicing what you can do with your body and just breaking that down into many different ways. Um, and that was, uh, that was amazing. I loved it. It was, it was excellent, but it was very, very broad. You know, Praxis Athletic was a, was a very um, broad, somewhat of a, I wouldn't call it generalist because it was, you know, it had specific classes, but there was lots of different types of classes. Uh, but, you know, by doing that and working with people coming into work with us with body weight work and powerlifting and everything, that's, that was literally where, like the, the methods and the philosophies of the Bulletproof Yogi were created, but in person. Yeah, and Praxis, like when that was birthed and I started to see what you were creating, I guess that was like, you know, the previous, what, six, seven years of you Correct. learning again, starting with, uh, you started in CrossFit, yeah? For the most part, yeah. So I started doing about two, two or three years of personal training first, and then I... I started then doing my CrossFit training myself and looking into, wow, okay, I can, I can run and lift or I can do this. I don't need to just pigeonhole myself in something. So it was about two to three years of, um, yeah, personal training, strength conditioning, followed by like five or six years in the CrossFit world, followed by like another probably four or so years of you know, slowly moving away from it, but still like honoring that as a, a philosophy and idea and like respecting that's what I you know, kind of learned a lot of these ideas from. But I then spent, 
you know, a year just working on gymnastics work. I was like, look, I just want to get really, really good at gymnastics strength training. And then I'd spend a year just on Olympic weightlifting because I felt myself after a year of gymnastics becoming quite rigid and, and not being able to move fluidly. So I went back to Olympic lifting because that taught me how to be both strong and fluid. And then after that, I was like, well, hang on, now I've got some aesthetic orientated goals, went full circle to when I got into training in the first place when I was back in the day. I was like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm going to look into some bodybuilding stuff. I'm going to learn from a bodybuilding coach. Then after a while, I was like, well, I'm, I'm pretty happy with how I am now. My body's, you know, I'm, I'm a happy guy. I'm going to go get into something else again. So yoga and it just, it continually goes like that for me. I just love just learning new things. So that's, yeah. that, that's how Praxis Athletic came about. So I was like, cool, I've, you know, I've, I developed, I guess, a, a, a keen interest in developing different physical qualities and then retaining them to a point that I can, I can touch on them when I want to but I'm never so good at them that that's the only thing and I can't ever do the others. And it's because once I'd, I'd experienced this, you probably have as well. When you sort of reach some of these goals that you set yourself up for, you're like, okay, I want to get that one arm chin up. I want to get this thing that's, or, you know, a certain number of uh, weights or reps or anything. You, you get there and it's very anticlimactic. It becomes, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, it's just not all it's cracked up to be. So I lost interest in achieving a goal and I developed much more interest in just knowing that if I really wanted to, maybe it's because I'm just naturally indecisive in some things, but if I really wanted to, I could probably spend the next six months or 12 months and just bust my ass and get a one-arm handstand if I really, really wanted to. Now, that's not to say that that's an easy thing to do or you don't need a very high level of dedication to get there. But if I, I know that if I really wanted to, then I can get there. And how do I train to be a guy that if I really want to, I can do that. And if I really want to run a sub 20 minute 5k, you know what? I reckon I probably just bust mass for six months and get there. So I kind of like training to be within six to 12 months of any one goal. Within reason. Within reason. <laughs> I that's, love probably, that. <laughs> that's probably how I'd summarize my training is just to always be able to touch on stuff. I just, when you talk about that, it reminds me of like Twister. So you're like the little, uh, the little arrow in the middle that's yeah. like and then we flick it and it just spins around and you've got all these options and if you want to land on one and go into the practice you can because you yes. have that ability exactly right and then if that's if that like that dial is like this like palm size eventually <laughs> i want to make that even bigger and then even bigger so that i can reach out further and further and further and that, that's literally what crossfit was about right crossfit was about like yo, like okay we can run like a, a five minute mile, but then can also lift 500 pounds. Like that's, and then if they want to, they can probably go hang with some gymnasts. They're not, not to like the, the high degree at all, like not at all. And I don't think that's the best system for doing that. I think the CrossFit's a fantastic system for capacity orientated goals like that, but not necessarily more like artistic or um, like fluid and movement orientated goals, but it's a great system for the capacity stuff. I like the idea of being able to, again, like do it all. So I was like, okay, how do I then learn the stuff in regards to, you know, I like to step into a yoga class. Like, damn, like, does this guy practice often? But no, I haven't been to yoga in a year, but I can still do some stuff, you know? Now I'm not like a, like a high end, like strong yogi, like some of the guys out there that are beasts in the yoga community, like Dylan Werner, et cetera, these guys just crush it. But they've really, really gone like narrow in their scope of interest and rightly so because they love it. But for me, I just like that well-roundedness. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of places I want to go. I want to really go into like praxis and like how for 10 years, like that really uh, developed like your view, like your beliefs, I guess, like your values that praxis held and how you coached and how that was created. And then the second place I want to go is like a, like why people start, like why they want to train, yeah, their goals, and then how we like help them navigate through that because generally they have a very specific goal. Uh, and okay, let's start with the praxis stuff. So I just want to know like pretty much what you've learned over the last 10 years <laughs> and then how that came through praxis. Like, yeah. Well, there's obviously like to condense 10 years of learning into one conversation, you're really, really hard. But <laughs> one thing that does jump out at me. That, no, that tell I, me everything. <laughs> there'd definitely be one of the, the, the things that I'll try and pass on of the few um, would be that I sort of, 
I learned to respect where people were at and why they were there and what they might want and be totally okay with that because I knew that it was a process. So that meant that I didn't create a facility that was elitist in that we weren't going to have things that um, some people have made like the, the earlier stages of their like, you know, training progression or maturity weren't going to be interested in. And what I mean by that is we sometimes still had um, classes that were more centered around the aesthetic side of things. And I wanted to respect that. I wanted to respect that there were people that for whatever reason were, were concerned about that. And they had to tick that off before emotionally I felt anyway, they could then move on to something that was going to be performance or movement related. So Praxis Athletic was a facility that respected people at any stage of their journey along that. So that's what I wanted the culture to be about. Um, and then from there, if anybody wanted to go from, you know, being very general and they wanted to do all the classes to then specializing, I also wanted to respect that. I wanted to be totally okay with some people saying, I'm, as long as they were aware of the downsides of their specialization, I wanted to help them by providing them with just a, a sprinkling of what was going to kind of like help them specialize so they could keep doing it. Um, and what they needed to be able to keep doing it and just respect that, you know, one way or the other. So that, that would probably be the, the, the two biggest things that I learned over like, I guess, 10 years was just to respect and understand that with various different people. Oh, I love that. I just, I love that. I've never heard you say that before like that. Uh, and I think that can be a really hard thing for a coach to do. Yeah. Really hard. Especially if we like, you can see these gaps and you can see the things that, you know, you think that they should be doing or that they need to be doing. And like, there's, you know, this process and method that you, you know, may have experienced yourself and, and, you know, with your twister board there and, and, but then they they have a different goal and like, there's no right or wrong and you have to meet them again, like where they're at. And I think, yeah, I just, I love, I love how you explain that. Yeah, to me, it's sort of akin to, um, yeah, a musician. Yeah, if you've got a musician who they decide that what they want to do is, yeah, play piano and it means they're seated a lot and they're probably not going to develop the same sort of like, um, like calluses that somebody who plays guitar would, you know, they're not going to have that type of strength, but they're, they're probably going to get really, really good at their one you know, musical interest and choice. And they'll kick ass at that. And they couldn't give a shit whether they get those same calluses on their hands that a guitarist needs to play their instrument because they don't play the instrument. It doesn't mean you don't want to let them know about the potential downsides of all the seating they're going to be doing and maybe give them something to remedy that. But I'm going to respect that that's what they love and that's what their passion is. Like, who am I to say to somebody who just really enjoys something, like, not to do it? I'm like, yo, I'm here to help you get there. So, yeah, practice athletic was very much about that. It was like, you know, what is it that you want? Respect what you want. And then let me show you what you need to do to get there specifically. Learn what the downsides are to that. So you want to run a marathon? Cool. But just be aware of some of the potential like you know, injurious qualities of like high volume running and then what you need to do to care for your feet, et cetera. But yo, I'm here to like help you get there because you figure that out as yourself. But people are far more intelligent often and considered, I think, than, than people given, I guess... Uh, Give them sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I'm completely blank for that word. Like give them, I can't remember the word. Anyway, it's just nice to let people just make their own minds up and show yeah. them how to get there. <laughs> yeah, and because I think, I think everyone has to have time in something, you know, like in a particular sport or doing like specializing in something. And I think that's okay. There's beauty in that. And then, and then eventually they may come back and may come back and enjoy, I guess, all the pieces, but like, it's not, it's not, we shouldn't be forcing them to come back and be a generalist just because, you know, it's, it's better for their body or whatever. It doesn't, it might not bring them joy. It might not be where they're at. And so, yeah, I really like that. The, I guess the model that Praxis had was around, okay, you do this thing. I can help you, you know, have a stronger, more stable, resilient body in this thing. Know that these things may happen, but here is like a strong process and method to help you get where you want to go. 
Yeah, exactly right. Even to even to be a generalist and to be like a really, really well-rounded and like good generalist for, for periods of time, it's, it pays off to specialize for a while. You know, if you, um, if we talk about Ido, who's probably the most influential like movement generalists like out there at the moment, right? You know, how long did he specialize like just in capoeira? <laughs> 17 years he was doing it. <laughs> you know, so it's, and he's like the, the, the generalist guy or whatever, you know, movement guy. So, um, yeah, I think it's okay just to respect it. Yeah, sometimes people just need to do that for a while and let them make up their own mind about the inherent risks of that, and that's okay. Yeah. Okay. So, how do you, I want to know uh, how you make people really strong? So, starting generally speaking, starting with like a joint by uh, joint by joint, very um, like isolated approach. So, so find, find where are the, where is somebody who is strong, for example, even somebody who's quite well developed in their training, search and then continue to search and test and continue to test at what positions they are not strong in. And so y'all might have somebody who can maybe deadlift 200 kilos, but they can't do a straddle leg lift. Yeah. So I would then look at you know, what are the reasons for that. And for that person, that might be they're not strong because they are tight and they're limited with their mobility and flexibility. So I'd make them mobile and flexible first then make them strong there. So that's how I begin. And then from there, I'd start with the volume approach. Volume is where most you know, volume and accumulation is where some really good physical adaptation is going to happen with anybody. I'd use whatever method they enjoyed. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have them do just body weight work initially or just weightlifting work initially. I would, I would try to converse around what it is that is going to have them um, have buy into the program, the protocol. And then from there, start to, you know, through assessment um, and understanding where they're weak and where they need to get stronger, build up the vast majority of their weaknesses to help with their strengths. And that, that would be like the base phase of what they need to do. And then we get to the pointy end of things where things get even, can go a couple of different ways. I could take somebody through like an intensification phase of training where we just literally make a movement more intense. Or if they're feeling though that it's a, you know, from a nervous system perspective, they're strong, that's fine. They want to go down a more complex route and learn more movements with their strength. Then I might take them that way. But again, that would come down to the assessment of the individual. Yeah. Cool. Um, is that sort of what you meant by like the question of how to make somebody strong? Yeah. Cool. Well, like when people come like to training, it's, you know, they may have a sport that they want to get better at. So like, you know, you could take the yogi or the runner, uh, you know, a lot of people want to just get strong. And so, yeah, I just, I want to just, uh, riff on a couple of things that people come, like come yeah, into the space for, come to work with, you know, us for, and a lot of the time it's okay. I want to be stronger. So I just wanted to dive into a little bit of like your process and yeah. method behind that. I, I feel a bit more now. So the, the first thing I do is I ask them exactly what that means to them. Like what is strong to them? Right. So like it's, it's different as like, I know this would be the same process for yourself and the people that you work with. Strong is different for everybody. And for some people, it's a numerical value of like a certain weight. You know, find that out, figure out what that is. For, for others, and in my, my personal experience, strong to me is just a feeling. If I feel strong, and, and I've got a few, there's a few things that I might like go and do. Yesterday, I was doing some max sets of chin-ups. And just that sensation of getting to somewhere between 10 and 20 reps, I don't give a shit what number it is, but like if it's somewhere around there, <laughs> and I'm like, yo, like I pulled up and that didn't, I didn't get to seven, was like, oh damn, like that was hard. That to me, for that movement, that's that I feel strong enough there, and that's cool. You know, um, it like to, it evokes a feeling of strength. So, yeah, you, you and that's hard. Like, it's hard to to not attach to the number to say, "Hey, I can do 10, 10 chin ups or ten pull ups. I'm strong." Instead of just letting go, doing the movement. It could be one rep. It could be twenty reps to evoke the feeling of strong. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. Like it's. That's it's that when you can get to that point, I think that's when you can start to develop a lot more longevity in your training in a sense, because, and particularly emotionally as well, because the, the, you don't hang your hat, your emotional hat on, on something that can change as a result of things that are out of your control. So whether or not I can do like 21 chin ups or 17 chin ups that can change based upon sleep, the quality of the food that I'm eating, which obviously I can control that, but sometimes I can't. 
if I've, I've got this baby coming next year, you know, what's going to happen then when like, you know, she's keeping me up all night and stuff like that. That's, that will impact that, those numbers and where I can hit. And if I, if I've really put value of myself around those numbers, then it's, it's, it's just a, a risky sort of territory to walk down. Whereas if I sort of just like, look for a sort of a general sort of feeling around something, sure, that's in, in performance circles. If, if I'm working as a strength conditioning coach for an AFL team here, I can't just ask my players to tell me that they feel like strong for the most part, although I do want that as some sort of biofeedback, but the club's going to want something that's a little bit more rigid and structured, sure. But for, for most people, for you know, anybody that's just, again, either like you know, generally looking just to feel better, look better, or do something that's a bit more general, then that, that to me works quite well as, like a, as some form of like a, like a biomarker. So yeah, that that's be- what I was trying to get out of you because we're quite aligned in, in kind of like that process around, you know, well, what does strong mean to you or what do results mean to you? Because like you said, it can mean a lot of different things. So I work with a lot of women, uh, you know, to be able to do a pull up that mm-hmm. makes them feel strong. Yeah. Or that is strong to them. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I was just super curious around. So that's where you start. Like what does strong mean to you? So maybe yep. they say, you know, I want to be able to do five pull-ups. Yeah. And then. Yeah. I'd, I'd start with that for sure. So what does strong mean to you? I then also like the whole languaging thing. This was um, taught to me by a good friend of mine, Mario, where you, you can't, you can't be like, it's, you can sure you can be like stronger or weaker, but you can't like literally be, like strong, does that make sense? So when people start to say to themselves, like, you know, I'm weak, I'm weak, and they continually to say that I'm weak. Well, like weak relative to what? And yeah, are you walking around and able to get up off the floor or are you a complete, like physically incapacitated, immobile person that would be, if they fell over, they're, they're gone, they're dead, you know, cause you're a hundred years old and it's very frail and frail. like that. That maybe, maybe then you could be like, all right, cool. You probably are like, you know, can get that feeling. You feel a bit weak, but Ultimately, most people, when they start with, with strength training and a lot of the time when they're part of the way through it, they still feel like they're weak and they continually say that they're weak. And it's a very, very negative like association with yourself. No one, no one feels more positive when they say that I'm weak. And it's like, oh, I feel a bit down, right? So letting people know that, look, for the most part, you're still fucking strong, even if it's only five push-ups that you can do. Like, that's still badass. Like, that's cool. Like, and that's stronger, you know, so... I'm changing first finding out what strong is for somebody and then hoping to just through conversation, let them know that you're just getting stronger and there is no like embodiment of you as a weak person. You don't need to like label yourself as that. And when people do that, they really, really accelerate their strength training process a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful, two powerful things I think before, well, not even before, but like in parallel to starting the work, whatever the work looks like. Yeah. The programming, the showing up, yeah, the doing yeah. the, the movements or the training. Yeah. I think those are two key. Uh, another one I want to riff on that's super common is how do I change my body composition? Mm-hmm. Um, look, it's for me and for the, like the area that I specialize in, which is making people stronger nutrition stuff. I've always like steered clear of to a degree. I don't promote myself as like a, any type of like nutrition coach or anything like that. But what I do generally advise people on is just low hanging fruit and things that people can argue with. So I just, I try and stick with that and you only need to do a Google search to you know, find out what those things are. So like just generally figuring out like you can't, you can't go past obviously like the amount of food that you take in. That's incredibly important when it comes to body composition one way or the other, but you also can't go past that you know, foods generally and like how you feel is going to be dictated also by the food quality of what you have too. So there are two things that just, I try and give, again, I, I keep my strength coach that on, like that's, that's my jam. Um, but I feel very comfortable letting people know the calories do matter. And then the quality matter in regards to like what happens with the size of your body up or down. And that's going to be the, the biggest factor. But then longevity and health and a sense of well-being and vitality and just feeling good is going to come down to the food you digest really, really well. So you know, how do you feel after you eat something? Do you feel bloated? Do you feel a bit lethargic? Or do you feel like you know, you're thriving as a result of what you put into your body? And the quality of those foods matters as well. They're the, they're the two that I, I stick to the most. 
Um, and then from there, I'm quite comfortable just giving some like really sort of like basic like macronutrient breakdowns as a bit of a guide and a starting point. From there, the rest of it, I'm just like, yo, if I can speak to somebody like yourself, um, yeah, if there's anything in regards to their relationship with food, again, go speak with an expert in that sort of field because that's obviously a huge component as well. Yeah. So yeah, the nutrition piece of is such a big piece. And a lot of the women that I work with don't eat enough just to support mm. themselves. And then they're training on top of that. So they may want to, you know, to be able to do this or progress in their training or to change their body composition, but yet they don't even eat enough just to support them. But from like a strength and conditioning perspective, from like the coach at perspective, you know, if that was somebody, somebody's goal and say we went to this place of like, you know, what does results mean to you? And like, why do you want to change your body composition? And we spent time there, like we did with the strength piece, then what does the work look like? In from a nutritional standpoint? No, from a, like from a training perspective. Cause okay. So a super common belief is if I eat less and exercise more, I'll lose weight. And so often the exercise more is like high intensity cardio based training. Yeah. Like let's pop on a spin bike six days a week. Now I think I want to highlight that I think that if you have a really strong nervous system, you nourish your body, you can train hard and you can do high intensity training. Yeah. If you can recover well, but let's just say, you know, we have that belief system around if I eat less, train more, and we can focus on the training piece, which is this, you know, high intensity cardio based, uh, how, I guess, what's the process and method for you to look like? So say at Praxis, you ran like, you know, the aesthetics classes uh, and yeah. How do you support someone in changing their body composition? Whether, and I know it looks, it may look a little bit different if it's like weight loss or weight gain for a muscle mass, but just can you talk yeah, me so through again, that? So, so yeah, so if we have somebody that's like comes to me to, um, you know, either back in the day, a practice athletic or now, and they want to change their body composition, um, let's say they want to decrease body fat and like just hold on to some muscle tissue as like as a main goal, as just general goal. First thing that I'd look at is, you know, what is it they're not doing? So like, what's that? Because if somebody is like lifting weights a lot and strength training, something that they might need is just some low level aerobic work and, yeah, but just something like that would be fine. There'd be a really, really good like additional um, piece to what they're doing. But if somebody is like just flogging themselves with a lot of um, you know group sort of like cardio orientated classes, from there, like if they take away one of those classes and add in two strength classes, for the most part, that's going to go a long way. So it's it's more so about what it is that they're not doing than saying there's the one thing that everybody should be doing. Um, yeah, if you look at generally speaking, the uh, changes that we get from doing a lot of like high intensity cardio type work, or um, when people talk about doing high intensity training, for the most part, most people that are doing it aren't even doing high intensity work anyway. They're just doing aerobic repeats, and there's a huge distinction between the two. Um, so most people that think they're doing hit work, it's not hit work. If you're doing, if you're doing like thirty seconds on, thirty seconds off, back and forth, back and forth, the recovery time between those intervals. It's not going to allow you to actually like tap into the alactic or lactic system for long. You're just going to tap it out. So it's going to become aerobic in nature. You're just going back and forth, back and forth, doing the same thing. Um, but yeah, if you are doing that type of work, the changes. The good thing about that is that it does like it does use a lot of energy. So that like immediately the immediate response from the body doing you know, any type of ventral work um, is that it will eat up a lot of energy. So that's that's fine if you're getting the rest from it and you're getting adequate nutrients in and whatnot. Um, but it doesn't really support long-term body composition changes because it eats up a lot of energy and it doesn't build much muscle tissue. And, and we need muscle tissue to stay on our body. We want that to, to stay there, but you know, whether or not you want to get like bigger or smaller in regards to body fat, retaining muscle tissue is a great thing for that purpose. Um, so, you know, some strength training for most people is what they need to be doing as well. Yeah. Okay. So it's looking at what they're not doing. For the most yeah, part. So we have yeah, the nutrition the piece and then we have looking at what they're not doing and right. then the muscle tissue piece is obviously a big one. Yeah. Just look at what somebody's not doing, fill that gap. Like, and then 
if you've got somebody who's not doing anything at the moment, so they'll say, okay, look, I just want to get started. What do I do? Do I do cardio? Do I do weights? The, there's, for the, 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 the best answer that I can give is do the one that you're just going to love doing and enjoy the most and then supplement with the other one. So if, if you really, really love doing cardio shit, that's your, like your jam. You like running and everything like that. Awesome. Do that and supplement with two strength training sessions a week. If you are the inverse, if you just love lifting weights, cool, lift weights five times a week. Just go for a couple of walks throughout the week. Like just get your, your basic like aerobic base up as well. So just pick the one that you love, do that because you're going to stick to it. And much like nutrition, you need to, it's the, the diets that work, the ones that people stick to. The training programs work for exactly the same. So just fall in love with a thing. Could be yoga, could be a thing, whatever. And then supplement with the other stuff you're not doing. So Somebody wants to do yoga to help them with body composition goals. Is it the best way to go about it? Probably not. But if they do yoga because they love it and that gets their basic movement up like tenfold because they're going to, you know, five or six yoga classes a week. Awesome. That's going to help with it. And then just, you know, do something like a bulletproof yogi or another strength training system to support that and then go for a couple of jogs a week. Awesome. That's a great fat loss program for you because you're going to stick to that. Yeah, I love it because uh, people often think that there is a right way. Exactly right. Tell yeah. me yeah. the right way. <laughs> yeah, it, so, exactly. I don't, yeah. That, that, that's the right way. The, the, the formula yeah. for the right way, find something you love, do that often because you love it, and then you, you will happily continue to do some strength training to help you with yoga if you love yoga or if dancing is what you love, you will happily do some strength training to allow you to keep doing the thing you love as opposed to strength training because you have to, to you know, serve some sort of body composition goal that becomes a, an obligation as opposed to a, a, like a, a passion orientated like pursuit that you will stick to for a long period of time. So the, the best, the best way or the, the way in my perspective is, is to yeah, find something you love and then do the things that need to support that and then fill the gaps around it. Yeah. And I think that's probably key. That's probably the biggest thing out of this conversation today because, and I often say this with the women that I work with, I'm like, I can get you there. Yeah. Like I can get you where you, where you think that you want to go. Yeah. Like we can lose the weight. We could do the five pull-ups. We could train this way, but you know, at the detriment to what? Yes. Yeah. Like, you know, this I've like created, we've both created our lives around like training a practice. Yeah. That's just like what we do. It's so in us that, you know, we spend so much time like exploring and training, but for a lot of people that we work with, their life is squishy. They've got a big job. They've got three kids. Then they have all these expectations to achieve these things. And so then they go out in, in search for this like way, this right way that creates more stress. They don't enjoy what they're doing. And then it's often at the detriment to their health, uh, you know, whatever that is, if it's injury, if it's losing their cycle or what, yeah, it, it can show up lots of different ways. Whereas I love how you expressed and articulated that it's, you need to find the right way for you. So if that is yoga and then, you know, find a great coach or a great protocol or a system that can help supplement the thing that you love to do. But if you're always chasing the running, just because you think that it's going to keep your weight at a certain level or, you know, allow you to lose weight and you hate running, the actual, the physiology is probably just going to know that. And it's just probably going to spend its entire time stressed. So therefore you'll never be able to lose the weight in the long run and the system's stressed. <laughs> Absolutely. And you, to circle back to where we began, which is the conversation around pain. If, if you experience like, like some sort of like yeah, emotional discomfort or pain around doing a certain thing, even if that thing is touted as like the best way, like the fastest, you know, the fastest way to lose body fat is to do like high intensity interval training and do this method of tempo training and all that sort of stuff. If you really, 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 really dislike that to a point that it's off putting and like somewhat painful for you, eventually that's going to work where you down in nine times out of 10. So that's not to say you shouldn't move towards like the, the discomfort that's associated with those things, but, but going so hard, as you say, like, like just running to do it because that's what you think it is. But if that's really painful for you to do, you're not going to do it. It's not going to be the best way for you because in the long run, it won't work out like that. Yeah. I could talk to you for hours, but I know you have yes, a client uh, soon. So we're going to finish yes. with our 
Well, it is normally five questions, but my last question is normally what day are you on? So, you know, <laughs> you don't have to answer that one. <laughs> um, okay. That's cool. So, question one is why do you train? Um, I train because making progress um, is fun and I like training to make progress in things. And because, I, because I've experienced what it's like not to train and because I know what it's like to not do certain things and to be able to do certain things. I know what it's like to feel really negative about like my self-worth. Um, and I know what that, that, I know what not training looks like for me. I don't enjoy that. And probably the other reason why I train is because every time I, every time I haven't trained, I've, I've been not doing anything else positive. It seems to be something that brings positivity to the remainder of my life. If it brings stability, my mind goes like a million miles an hour. I like, if I didn't meditate this morning and take my dogs for a walk at the very least and also train really hard yesterday, trying to sit down and do a podcast with you now would have been far more difficult just because my mind goes all over. So I'm, I'm very much like my dogs. They're both American staffies. Although Bo isn't the most energetic puppy in the world, if he doesn't get out and about, if they don't get out to do stuff, they start to chew on things and do things they shouldn't. And maybe I'm a little bit like that. So it keeps yeah. me a little more well-behaved as well, I think. <laughs> I love that. Number two. Okay, you have a billboard. It's in Times Square and it's going to stay there forever. What does it say on it? Yeah, that's a ridiculously challenging question. <laughs> yeah. Um, it could be something as simple as that Paris was here. Or, <laughs> no, it wouldn't have been that. You were going to give me like this like, like philosophical like quote thing, something that you live by or... <laughs> um. Hmm. If it's something training related, if I kind of like keep it in that sort of um, like window, then it would be rarely talk in absolutes. That would be one. Um, Can you explain that? Basically, the talking in absolutes to me is it's although we can like you know agree that like science can take things to a point where things can be proven, of course. So I'm not going to say that like don't say that gravity exists because that's saying absolutes and that would be ridiculous. No, of course we can say those sorts of things, but um, again, going around the, the best way to get somewhere saying that this is the best way or saying that this exercise is the worst or the best that to me is talking in absolutes and it just leads people down, I think the wrong path because it's, you know, as much as there's you know, certain YouTube channels that have millions of subscribers and followers and, basically what the every one of the videos is like has an image of is an exercise and then saying never do this exercise that to me is an absolute that shouldn't exist within the culture of strength so that, that's something that i would like live by and i'd stand by and i think that i would probably look back on even if that billboard was still up in another thousand years i'd stand by that statement i love it never talk in absolutes yeah never or at least rarely Really, because I guess rarely. Like ne ne never talk in absolutes is somewhat of an oxymoron, but ra rarely talk in absolutes or probably fits a little bit better. Okay, I love it. I like it. We're going to stick it on the billboard. Okay, what do you like that no one else really likes? Um, probably like the smell of my dog. I like how he smells. He's like, yeah. He's like a nice dog. <laughs> yeah. I like no one else does. Other than that, I think most of the things that I'm into, most people are into. I don't think I'm like a weird, quirky guy. Like the training I do, yeah, I like doing lots of different things, but so do lots of other different people. Um, so I don't like if there be. I don't think there's anything else that would jump out. Um, okay, like mine is like I love just drinking warm water. Uh, like I don't like cold water. That would be one of mine. Yeah. Well, a water, a water related one for me that I do really like cold showers. Most people do cold showers and that's a very, it's, it's a pretty popular thing now, I think with like the prominence of Wim Hof, et cetera. But, um, cold showers, I mean, something I've been doing since I was 16 and I just really, I like, I like, like that feeling of coming out of the shower and I'm like, I'm awake now. I'm like wide awake. Like I crave it. And without it, if I have a hot shower and then walk out to start my day, I feel sleepy. I feel like I want to go back to bed. So yeah. cold shower and that sensation of cold like that I like.
I think I'll give that to you because there's not a lot of people that actually like it. They'll do it because of like the benefits, but they probably don't actually enjoy it. (laughs) Okay. Last one. What three things do you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered for being compassionate. So kind, compassionate um, to like all things like animals, human beings. I, I think that's a quality that's undervalued in men in particular um that i'd like to be remembered for i'd like to be remembered for being loyal um and just always like sticking to my word and the other would be um, i think how i'd like to be remembered for helping men that's quite close to my heart and something that i like doing you like your scope and what you're amazing at is helping women through the um, you know, in the various ways in which you do, I'd, I'd like to be remembered for, for helping men because it's, it's something like I went through a big change and shift throughout my, my teenage years to where I am now and, and understanding that process and, and what that looks like. I'd love to, to further help men in, um, in those same ways that I kind of I had a lot of help with and then in a lot of ways had to figure out for myself. So that would be my three. Thank you, Paris Little. You will be remembered. You'll also, I'm going to add another one. You'll be remembered for being a great coach, a great teacher. Uh, yeah, you, I think that that has to be there on the list. You're one of the best teachers and mentors I've ever worked with. So you're really good at it. Thank you so much. Yeah, professionally, that would be nice to remember for that as well. But thank you so much. It was um, it was awesome to chat and connect again. And um, and yeah, I really appreciate you having me on and having this chat. It was heaps of fun. Thanks so much, Paris. I'm so grateful for your time. Absolute pleasure. I'd love to do it again sometime as well. I should probably run. I think I have somebody here now. So okay. I'll, I'll get going. <laughs> thank you so much. If you have any questions, you can connect with me on Instagram at amykatebow. I also write a daily blog. You can sign up on my website, amykatebow.com. Thank you for making the space to listen today. Remember, take the long way home. Bye for now.